to come together to worship You, to dig into Your Word. Lord, we just pray that every burden will be removed, every yoke will be destroyed, and that Thy will be done. Thy will be done. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Okay, so we're not doing Matthew. I'll be back to do some Matthew later. Um, but I, I want to do what I'm doing today, uh, uh, well, A, because it's been weighing on me for months now. Um, I've been going deeper into this little section. But also because I think as we end Matthew, we need to uh, really focus on... Um, uh, two questions that I'm going to ask today and then how we respond to those questions. Uh, so we're going to take a little detour today into Colossians chapter 1. Um, we're going to just talk about just a couple of verses in there that I think make a very important point that we want to talk about today, which is that Christ is supreme. Um, so I'm going to start with just reading and then we'll uh, we'll talk about a couple of the verses, but I'm going to start in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learned from Epaphras, your dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who has declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the redemption of sins. You can say amen to that. That's awesome. So what we want to talk about today is how that's true. All of that. How is all of that true? Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven 
and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him reconcile all things to himself by him, whether on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, quick context for you. So, the church in Colossae is another one of the churches in Asia Minor. It is a crossroads between really the eastern empires, Persia and so on, and the western empire of Rome. It is a center where there was a lot of, uh, well, Colossae is a small group of churches, right? Really kind of house churches, right? It's not some big, you know, huge congregation there. Um, But in Colossae, uh, these Christians are up against all manner of teaching that is trying to chip away at the tenets of the gospel. You've got, of course, all of the uh, Greek, Roman, polytheistic traditions and those mysticisms. You have Gnosticism going on, where, which attacks the very idea that Christ can be God and man at the same time, right? That flesh and spirit cannot be combined. So therefore, number one, Christ can't be God. And number two, he certainly isn't living in you. That's, that's their thinking, right? There are all kinds of other false teachers coming in with the Judaizers and others. And you got to have Christ plus the law. There's all kinds of pressure on them of these false teachers who have been coming in and trying to um, diminish the gospel. Not unlike what happened in the Philippines that we just heard. Right? Folks heard the gospel. They came to believe People went away, right? And then other ideas of what does this mean came in and were chipping away at the gospel. So Peter has to go, went back to, right, reintroduce it. We just heard that. Okay, so we're relevant. All right, just checking. Okay, just checking. All right? So the, all of this false teaching that is undercutting the tenets of Christianity, you know, um, we can think of a bunch of other kind of cultural ideas and, and thinking that is also attacking the whole ideas, uh, the key tenets of 
Christianity right from inside the church and from outside. And so, uh, so Epaphras goes to Rome, says to Paul, who's under house arrest, right? It's first imprisonment. Hey, here's what's going on in Colossae. Man, these folks are awesome, but we need some encouragement, something, because the false teachers are trying to... Man, they are... It's tough. We need some help. And so Paul writes this letter to the Colossians. And the key idea of this letter is the deity of Christ. That Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ is the one who is not only supreme, but is the one who we have sufficiency in. And that if we will maintain faith in Christ, we will be able to impact hmm, those around us. We will be fervent and steadfast in what we believe. Then we know that that love of Christ, the power of God working through us can work outwards towards other people. Right? But we've got to establish, but what Paul does here is establish that supremacy. Now, what does that supremacy hold in? Two key ideas that we're going to get into. So here's the so here's 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 the first one. Let's open up and look back at verse starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Christ is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. So I just want to just talk about two words here. Image and firstborn. Right? So image, uh, the Greek word means a likeness to. Right? When, when uh, Jesus is with Peter and they, uh, they, you know, they get the coin and, say, and he says, Who's, whose image is on this coin? That's the word... Uh, Econ, we're not going to worry about the, the Greek. You can go get it, study it yourself, and fine. Okay? Right? But it's that idea of a, a representation. Right? George Washington's image is on the $1 bill. Right? I think I'm married. Those are the only ones I get. They're ones. So. Um, uh, right? But the use that Paul means here in image is more than just a representation or a resemblance, but also the actual participation in the reality of what the image points to. Christ is God. Christ is the visible representation of the invisible God. Say amen to that. Right? Because he participates in the Godhead itself. Let us make man in our image. Right? Isn't that what it says? Let us make 
uh, man in our, in our image. Go to Hebrews. It's a little commercial, but you know. <laughs> we'll see you in September. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, who has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. Look at verse 3. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of majesty on high having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they jesus is the express image of god because he is god if you've seen me, you have seen. Okay, let's do that like we know what we're talking about. If you've seen me, you have seen. So Jesus is in fact God. Do you see what I'm saying here? Okay, it's not just he looks like God. He is God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, the, so, so first of all, so there's the image. Now the firstborn. Let's understand, okay, obviously there's a literal meaning of the word firstborn is just that. When a woman has her first child, that's the firstborn, right? I'm a youngest, can you tell, right? So I'm not a firstborn. I, I broke all the rules, you know? Anyway, right? So the child is the firstborn, right? So in... In Luke, right, Mary is going to have a baby, her firstborn child, right? The, the firstborn, the oldest, okay? That's the literal interpretation. And one of the ways that these early false teachers were coming at the gospel was saying, well, wait a minute, uh, if God is born in time as a man, how can he possibly be God? He's man. So he can't be the firstborn over all of creation. He's just the firstborn of Mary. You see the split there? Right? Of taking away the deity of Christ. That's what they were teaching. Right? But let's go back and look at what Paul is really saying here. Let's go to Psalm 89 real fast. If I can get there myself, that would be awesome. Okay, Psalm 89. Let's look back. We'll start in verse uh, 24. Uh, but the key verse we want to look at here is 27. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. Now this is a messianic psalm, so with him means Christ. And my name is, uh, is his horn shall be exalted. 
Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. Verse 27, and I will make him my firstborn. We're talking about God saying, I'm going to make him, Christ, the firstborn. So it's not an idea of Christ being the firstborn in the literal sense of, yes, he's Mary's first child. The issue is that he is the firstborn over all of creation. His inheritance is, in fact, the whole earth. Okay, wait a minute. You know, see, we got to do one of these things with stuff, right? All the, I can't sing, so be cool. Right? All the earth is His and the glory there. You know that song? Okay, yeah, right. Okay, fine. Okay. Right? All of the earth is God's. Jesus is the firstborn. He is the heir of what? All things. He is the firstborn, not just of Mary. He is the firstborn over all of creation. Right? So if he is the firstborn over all of creation, he verifies that with the very supremacy that Christ has over creation. Go back to Colossians. Okay, what does it say? Verse 15 again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So Christ is supreme over creation. Right? All things were created by him. So what was created that wasn't created by Him? Nothing. All things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is supreme over creation. Thank you. He is supreme over creation. Now, that means that He is the one who had the prerogative to create. God didn't have to do it. <laughs> but He did. In the beginning was God. In the beginning God created. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? Christ. He is God. He is the Creator. He is supreme over creation. Now, 
Here in verse 16, there's another little word we need to explore here, which is the word for, right? It says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth, that are visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. That word for there isn't a preposition meaning like maybe. It's really the word that, if we translate it, is because, Okay, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because by Him. Why is He the firstborn over creation? Here's why. Because by Him all things were created. You understand? See? all So He is the one who's doing the Creator. Now, Look at verse 17. This is, this is powerful. So by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is what? Before all things. And in him, all things consist. So he must be the Lord over creation because he was before creation. God does not only exist in time, he exists outside of time. So he has the power, the prerogative is his, to create. He created the universe. In the beginning, God in the beginning, God, who is Christ, who is God. Amen. He is supreme over creation. So here's my first question. If Christ is supreme over creation, what is our response to his creation? If he created the heavens and the earth, what is our response to his creation. I'm just going to let that lay there for a minute. Right? Now, not only is he supreme over creation, he is also supreme over redemption or in redemption. Right? Uh, and so, as, so let's go back and start in verse 17 and look at this. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is, notice the switch here. He's now going from talking about being supreme over creation to now talking about being supreme over his people, over the church. Right? He is the head of the body. The church. So, if he's the head of the church, who is supreme over the church? Okay. Now, there are some preachers who need to understand that, but I'm not going there right now. Okay. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Now, how do we know that that is true? First of all, we know he has the power 
to raise himself, himself up because he also had the power to raise Lazarus up. Right? Lazarus was dead and Jesus brought him back to life in his natural state. Yes? But then Jesus died and he rose again glorious. Amen? He died and then rose again in glory. And in that process became supreme over redemption. Okay, listen, listen to what I'm saying now. Alright, let's go to verse, verse 18 and read it again. He is the head over the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things in earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so here is Christ who created all things, who is the sustainer of all things, who has the preeminence, who existed before all things, who is the firstborn over creation. So now, who is the one who has the power to reconcile his creation to him? Jesus. He has the power to do it. So now, He is the one who can reconcile all things. It doesn't make any difference if they were things in heaven and earth. He's going to reconcile, has reconciled all things to Himself. Hasn't He? How many times did Christ die? Once. For how many? That can't be possible. He died once for all people? For all of the people. You know, he is the agent of redemption for all human beings? So he died once for all. He, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So wait, so if he died once for all, okay, but, but, but if I'm all, but I'm coming 2,000 years later, you mean he died for me too? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So then if he died once for all, he died once for all of what? Woo! He died once for all of what? All of the sin. Didn't he? You've got that's how he can say you through him you have forgiveness of sins, isn't it? Oh, wait a minute, maybe we need to check on that. Who's forgiven? Raise your hand. Now, don't if you don't believe it, don't raise your hand, but I'm just letting you know. <laughs> he forgave you. When did he when were you forgiven? He reconciled all things. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. Hold on. For it pleased the Father 
that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. When Christ died, what did he say? It's finished, baby. I did it. Once. For all. Once for all. So, Christ is supreme over creation. And he's supreme over redemption. Christ, who did he die for? I'm just checking again. Who did he die for? Okay, so if he died for all, then we must understand, the. then we have to ask the second question. What is our response to those he died for? What's our response? I would imagine that our response, and I'm going to get to it in a little more depth in just a second, that one of the issues of our response to how do we respond to those who Christ forgave is the same as what he's, the woman at the well, the good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? All. How do we understand that? The true evangelical concept of neighbor is the idea that I see every, any one other human being as unique, unrepeatable, deserving of dignity and respect. They're my neighbor. Doesn't matter if I know them personally. Doesn't matter if they look like me, have the same income as me, less income than me. I can't, if, wait, wait. If Christ died for them, what is my response to them? If Christ died so that they might live, how am I responding to this same human being that Christ went to the cross for? No room in that statement for our bigotry. There's no room in that statement for any of our prejudices, whatever they may be. There's no room in that statement for the way that we negatively treat each other. There's no room in there for that because our theology says Christ is supreme over redemption. If Christ is supreme over redemption, then our uh, response, the way we live, should reflect that theological truth. If He's supreme over redemption, we ought to be responding to the people He redeemed with the love that He showed to you when He let you get in. If He is supreme over creation, how are we responding to the creation He created? If in fact we've been given dominion, stewardship over His creation, then the question is, how am I relating or treating the creation He created? He left us in charge. I'm just saying. Don't argue with me. I'm just, okay, amen. These are two 
pivotal questions we have to start asking ourselves. Because what Paul is doing in this letter is saying, look, all these things that are the truth of the gospel, his forgiveness of sins, redemption, all of that, the, you know, um, the, the, the faith we have in, the, in, in eternity and, and he is the creator of heaven, he did it all. And all of that, if that is true, then the encouragement of this letter is how do we respond to that truth. How do we respond to it? Let's keep going. Verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Christ reconciled. His reconciliation was done at the cross. He's waiting for y'all. Me, all of us, he did it. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your own mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. What's our response? Our response is to say yes to his redemption. To say yes to Christ's supremacy. To say yes that in that supremacy of Christ he has made me a new creation. That I am been made righteous. I've been made authority. Made faith. Made love. Because I'm not what I was. I've been translated from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And because of that, I'm a completely new person. Amen. My spirit is alive. And that means I'm changed and transformed. Do we see it that way? See, these are, the, these are the issues that the Colossians are trying to work through. Okay, if Christ is supreme over creation, He's supreme over redemption, my response is to believe in that and to live in the love and light of who Christ made me to be. How do I do that? How does that work? Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away by the hope of the gospel which you heard, uh, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Do you believe that Christ is supreme over creation. Do you believe that Christ is supreme over redemption? Because there's a, there's a conditional there. If. If 
you believe that, then regardless of what you hear out here that's trying to tell you something different than the gospel, you will remain steadfast. You'll remain grounded in the truth. And those are, um, those are, those are words used in the building trades of the time, saying, okay, we're going to lay a firm foundation. And the firm foundation is the faith that Christ is in fact supreme over creation. Supreme over redemption. And if that is true and I'm steadfast in that, then I won't be shaken from the hope that is in the gospel. Right way back in verse 5, it says that Paul is excited because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard in the word of truth of the gospel. And if we will remain steadfast in it, then all that false teaching out there trying to corrupt our faith won't work. Because we are grounded. We are steadfast in our faith of who Christ is. Say amen to that. Okay? Now, the, I'm just going to say one last thing. And, that, and that's this. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 1, Paul says something else about those who remain steadfast. It says that they were bearing fruit. They were bearing fruit. In other words, because they remain steadfast in understanding in their faith that Christ is supreme they were able to go out and affect others through the love of God working through them. They were bearing fruit. They were bringing the truth in love, preaching the gospel, proclaiming, and bearing fruit. We can do the same. We're on, look, I don't know if anybody told you, but you know those same pressures are out there right now. Right? Don't worship God. Worship what? We just... Finances, worship money, you know, right? Is your life significant? I don't know. How big is your bank account? That's how most people think, right? Christ isn't supreme. Money is supreme. That's just another idolatry, right? There's, I mean, there's tons of them. Why go to church? I'm a good person, right? I'm, I'm moral. I don't need to go to church. I don't need God, right? I'm, I'm, I'm more, well, look at all those hypocritical Christians out there. They're, oh my, they're haters. So why would I ever think about believing in Jesus Christ? Right? All, of those, all of those attitudes, philosophies are attacking the church right now. The question is for us, what do we believe? Do we believe that Christ is supreme over creation? Is Christ supreme over redemption? Do you have faith that the promises that he has made are true? And if you do, then you know that you are responding to Christ's supremacy in the way he wants us to, to acknowledge his lordship. To live by faith. 
to live in the identity that He gave us. To live in a way that says the hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So, Christ is supreme over... Okay, this is the assessment part of the sermon. So Christ is supreme over creation and redemption. So as we leave here today, uh, we're going to sing this uh, song again. Uh, Joe's going to play we did earlier. And when we sing this song, I want you to not worry about who's standing next to you, who's behind you, whether you can carry a tune or not. I want you to sing this song with the intensity that shows to yourself that you believe what we said today. That He is in fact Supreme over creation and supreme over redemption. Let's